Well, let's get into this uh, part six of our Nothing to Lose series. We're talking about being ready to serve today. Uh, by a show of hands, I'm going to invite you to uh, take a little risk here. By a show of hands, who, who here has endured an employment review of any kind? Um, yeah, almost everybody, at least three quarters of us in this room. And even when you know you've been doing well, it's, it's not really something you look forward to. It's a little, I don't know, it, it, there's something about being scrutinized that's just a little nerve-wracking, and we'd probably rather avoid it given the chance. So then, my question is, how do we feel about the coming day of our own examination the day when we will stand before the Lord God. Uh, when our efforts for the gospel will be exposed to, to see what motives we had, to test how faithful we were to the truth. When we, you know, asking the question, question whether we were obedient and stepped out in faith or whether we held back and played it safe in our life. That day is coming. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy that that, that day would be coming. And we we cannot simply just go with the flow in life and just hope for the best and expect everything is just going to work out just peachy. It, it's, it's not like that. The good news that Jesus saves you by His grace includes the promise that He will also reward us according to our deeds, according to what we have done. So some in heaven will have great reward. Others will be there empty-handed with empty pockets. Now, that should not scare you. And here's why that doesn't need to scare you. It's exciting because God's a great boss. And He's worth working for. And He's told us in advance how to prepare for that day when we will meet Him. Over and over, Jesus you know, promised that this, this day would come. And so, it's worth our while to stop and examine ourselves. So, if you found Second Timothy Chapter 2, I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. We're going to start at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 15. Paul says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as, or, or the literal word there is like gangrene, um, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Verse 20, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, or literally if you purify yourself, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the Master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord 
with pure hearts. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I did a number of strange jobs in my youth. Uh, grew up in sort of an agricultural area. And so one, one of the jobs I got was building chicken cages on site on the farms. Those, those are all custom made. And uh, my time there was cut short by a, a serious motorcycle accident. But for, the, for the, my final couple of weeks that I, I worked there, I'd worked with this guy who'd mastered the, you know, work hard when the boss is around but not when he's not there, approach to life. Um, one day he, he came to work and he was groaning. He said, oh man, he says, uh, I'm not going to be able to do much today. Uh, I got a tattoo yesterday. And he lifted up a shirt. And he had this huge tattoo across his chest. Almost just massive. And, um, and I was 19 and, and came on a pretty sheltered background. So this was all pretty puzzling to me. And so, you know, he just spent the day um, lying down and smoking cigarettes well, I work my tail off. And uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with anybody quite like that, but they, uh, they are around. Well, the Apostle Paul here in this passage was helping Timothy grasp that we aren't just to look busy when the boss is around. We're to be diligent to, to live and serve God and to serve people in a way that he can say, well done, good job. Even when God is the only one watching. We have a long-running program here at Bethany called Awana. When Pastor Stephen was just talking about that. Do you know why it's called Awana? Some, some of you know what that stands for, right? It, Awana is an acronym. A-W-A-N-A. It's short for Approved Workers Are Not Ashamed. Awana, that's where it comes from. It comes from the... The King James Version translation, um, Temperance, let's go and show that next slide up there. Uh, what I read from the New Living Translation, the King James Version translated to say, study to show and show, S-H-E-W, I never understood that part. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved. That word study, or as uh, New International Version says, um, uh, uh, make every effort, I think it says. Um, we have it here, work hard. Uh, that word study is kind of a poor translation of the Greek word for be diligent or make effort at. Um, and so uh, it's really a better way to say be diligent about presenting yourself or work, work at it so that you can present yourself to God. There's a, actually in this in this whole passage, and particularly in these this, this verse here, there are some words that the apostle Paul, apostle Paul appears to have borrowed from the world of of masonry. So that word approved, or here we have it, to receive his approval. That's that's from a uh, that was used to refer to stones that had mined from the quarry and had been marked as ready for use. They were certified. They'd been inspected. They were sound. They didn't have cracks or breaks in them. They were an approved stone, a certified uh, piece of work. And then uh, it goes on to say, you know, you may have learned it as rightly dividing the word of truth. You hear rightly handling the word of truth. Um, you can go, Tamers, you can go ahead and leave that slide up there. Um, here correctly explains the word of truth. Um, NIV says rightly handling, uh, correctly handling. Uh, that referred that word referred to the act of the splitting of stones or the cutting of the stones where so you'd have an approved stone the work of 
cutting it, measuring it to fit, getting it to so that it would be a perfect fit for other stones. That's where we get that term to to properly present that stone. So a stonemason that would rightly cut an approved stone would have no reason to be ashamed of his construction work. Kind of a long explanation of a uh, of a simple principle in there for Paul. But Paul's point is this. Truth really matters. Truth matters. And it's possible, get this, it's possible to get it wrong. It's possible to be wrong about some things. Um, Paul goes on in verse 16, verse 16 to say, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Well, what, what does he mean by that? He goes on to use the example of a couple of false teachers, Hermanius and Philetus. Paul, Paul recognized that once we start um, entertaining ideas that contradict truth or that contradict Scripture, then we're in danger of believing the lies and rejecting the truth. If you listen to anything long enough, it begins to sound appealing or sound attractive. It makes starts to really make sense. Now, I'm not saying you have to live in a bubble. You still need to be able to have intelligent conversations with your friends at the water cooler or at the coffee shop or wherever else, but even with those with whom you disagree. But the more we talk about or entertain the possibility of things that aren't true, the more normalized it becomes, the more, more we're likely to accept it, um, the more we believe lies. We get desensitized to truth if we're not careful. So in the case here of Hermenius and Philetus, Paul is saying that they misled people about the truth of the resurrection. He says here they've, they've left the path of truth claiming the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. Now there are a few different theories back then already, we're talking nearly 2,000 years ago, of trying to explain, well how do we explain this whole Jesus raised from the dead and the promise that the day is coming when the dead in Christ will also be raised and will have new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. It just sounded kind of far out and fantastic, particularly uh, in that culture, in that cultural context, particularly Greek philosophy, tended to say, that, you know, the body is bad, but the spirit is good, so do whatever you want with your body because it doesn't matter anyway. And then just, you know, kind of, you'll have a spiritual realm. These guys were apparently saying, hey, you've already been raised, um, one philosophy that back then was that at your baptism, when you were raised to new life, that was your resurrection. Others were saying, no, the only resurrection is Jesus being raised from the dead. W- whatever it was, whatever kind of specific way they were teaching in that, um, is that, is that they were misleading other believers while claiming to be Christ followers themselves. Falsehood, honestly, falsehood is often very religious. Sounds really good. Um, it can be really spiritual, uh, but it's usually an attempt to appease culture, to take the truth of God's word and say, well, our society says this, or media says that, and God's word doesn't sound very appealing compared to that. So we'll try to fit it a little bit more into what kind of popular culture believes, because that'll make it more attractive. And, and Paul's warning us that that's not a good plan. That will lead us down a path away from truth, because it, it presents an unbalanced view of God and God's grace. Where am I going with this? Well, it's that Paul's commands to Timothy are given so that we would be diligent about truth. If you're taking notes today, that would be a good one to write down. Be diligent about truth. 
We don't actually have the privilege of declaring what's true and what's false. We don't, we don't set that standard. God does. We're not God. God is. So we want to be diligent about truth. Okay, let's, um, let me talk about one of my favorite subjects for a minute. Creation. I love talking about creation. And, uh, and I, I realize I'm not always popular when I bring this up. But most people today, inside the church and outside of the church, would accept some version or some form of evolution. Some, the, the concept that we evolved, um, basically from nothing to something. And that is a relatively recent theory in terms of science. And in spite of the many problems that evolution cannot answer, um, and the amount of faith it takes to believe it, it, it continues to be popular. It grows in, in popularity. It can't answer the problems that violate the very uh, uh, basics of um, the laws of physics, for example. If, if there was a Big Bang, my question is, how does matter come from nothing? You, matter is neither created nor destroyed, we're told. So how did it self-create? And if you have a great big explosion, then the force of that explosion would cause things to move outward um, into into vast nothingness of space. So if it's all moving outward, how does it finally violate the laws of physics and coalesce back around itself and create um, planets and and stars and, and things like that? And how does how does life then begin to form where there is no life? And, and how do how do so so called species that are evolving? How do they cross uh, you know species gaps? And how do how do mutations that any time there's, there's a mutation, um, that's typically a, a drop of genetic information. So how does, how does suddenly a, a mutation add genetic information so that now this animal can do that? And how many systems have to change instantaneously and in both genders? And for all those things to happen again and again and again and again and again in multiple places, how does that happen? Evolution is not yet... I don't, for me, has not satisfied those major problems with that theory. Now, it is a theory, but it is also somewhat of a religion. Anyway, that, sorry, that was a sidebar. I didn't mean to go there. But, um, you know, most who would accept evolution do so somewhat, I'm, I'm going to say this carefully, somewhat blindly, in that, by, by that I mean have not stopped to research creation. Or getting informed about creation. So the first five words of the Bible. I'm, I'm hoping this will land somewhere. So stay with me. The first five words of the Bible um, are, are very f- first introduction to God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, so there's time. God, there's who did it, created. There's, there's what he did. The heavens and the earth. That's what he made. It presents us God as Creator. The first thing the Bible wants you to know is that God is the Creator. That's a starting point. So, if you would say, I just think everything evolved, that makes more sense to me. I, I, I'm not con- I still love you, I'm not condemning you, but I, I want to say, if that's your point, you, are, in function, have become an atheist. You have said, well, the Bible declares God is Creator, but I'm saying, no, He... He thinks self-created. So that would make you a functional atheist, that you have rejected Scripture. Now, I'm, I'm not even saying that creation is easily understood. 
um, you know, the first 11 chapters of Genesis aren't given to us to explain every detail of how things developed, how the flood took place and all that. But it is not simply a poetic construct to sort of present a myth of the universe. It's meant to teach us the truth of who God is and what he did and how he did that. Um, there are some problems like phenomena such as um, rocks that seem to be ancient or stars that are millions of light years away. How do we, how do we explain those things? Uh, I'm not sure yet, but truth says God created. In the Bible says in six days he created. Well, what does that mean? What does the evidence reveal? You know, if, you, if your starting point is saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that the Bible is true, then you say, is there any evidence to would, that would support that? And um, we would call that a bias. I have a bias toward Scripture being true. That's my starting bias. But everybody has a bias. Everybody has a starting point that they believe. And so some's bias would say, this cannot possibly be true, and there's no God, and they would throw that out. So that, their bias excludes even the possibility of a creation. Um, what about things like the flood? When I, when I go hiking, for example, I love, one of the things I love doing is looking at, the, at rock strata and rock formations and granite and seeing those like, stripes of white stuff through the, through the granite and so on. To me, that's, that's evidence uh, not only of creation, but of a global catastrophic flood event it makes sense to me explains things well so being diligent about the truth then means i then need to do some studying to learn and to understand so that so that i'm able to to grasp these things now you can become convinced about anything if you read enough about it or if you listen to really smart convincing people i get that um but i i wonder you know do do, do you or do others take any time to actually be diligent about learning what's true. For example, I brought three sample videos that I have here. One's called, um, I, I follow a group called Creation Ministries International. One's called Evolution's Achilles Heel. Fifteen PhD scientists explain evolution's fatal flaws and areas claimed to be its greatest strength. One is biblical geology, properly understanding the rocks. I did not know that the rocks have emotions and need to be understood. But hey, that's okay. Properly understanding the rocks. They have feelings too. And... Um, this one I haven't watched yet. I just ordered it. It's brand new. Light years? No problem. Distant starlight in a young universe. And this guy, Dr. Russell Humphreys, shares his model of how to explain how distant starlight, allegedly billions of light years away, could reach the Earth within a 6,000-year-old creation. Now, I'm not saying this is the final answer, but I'm saying I'm going to be diligent about truth and say, well, what else is there? Are there ways to explain the things that I hold to? Those are important things to do. So my challenge is, is in this particular subject, it's a long... Illustration, but my, my challenge is this. If you accept something like evolution is true, and like I say, I still love you, and we, we can still have dinner together, that's not a problem. But I just would ask, have you done any research by reputable, credible creation scientists? Do you, do you know about that there are viable theories to explain the things that are problematic? Um, and have you thought about the theological implications of evolution? For example, one of the great problems of evolution is it doesn't answer the fall of man. If we just sort of came up out of the primordial soup, then what hap- how do you answer the idea of God created us with a relationship with him, but then we sinned and fell away from God, and now we need to be redeemed? How do you explain that in a creation model? Or why does the fossil record show evidence of disease, decay, and death? 
if that all happened before the fall. That, that can't happen before the fall of mankind. If you understand a good explanation of the flood, you'll understand why there's massive amounts of, uh, of, of um, a fossil record in certain places where things are all jumbled up, or why things fall into certain layers and so on. Now, again, most of us would accept evolution, something like evolution is true because it's all you've ever thought about and all you've ever been told or all you've been taught. But if you, and here's the other problem, if you embrace something like creation, and you'll be shamed in the classroom and in the coffee shop and, and you'll be labeled naive and idiotic and, and super smart guys like Bill Nye and Richard Dawkins, um, they just are incredible. I mean, they just sound so convincing. And they're, what you may not have realized is there are some really smart creation guys that you may have ignored so far. So it's worth recognizing that we all have a bias and anti-creationists have a religious agenda to destroy any belief in God, including yours. If they can remove God from creation, if they can dis- discredit the first portion of the Bible, then what can you believe? Um, if they can take God out of creation, he's not God. And then the Bible is not true. And if you're a random product of the universe, you have no actual purpose. And you, you are then your functionally your own God. And, and, and then Christian evolutionists are somewhat scared to appear foolish in the world, but they unwittingly undermine the essentials of the gospel by their choice. All that to say, be careful how you believe, how you study and learn. Be diligent about truth. Now, verse 19 brings some great hope. It says, God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. The Lord knows they were His. You know, every important building back then, you often see it today, every important building would, would have an inscription chiseled into um, the cornerstone or somewhere in the foundation. Here's one I just found. This is from somewhere in England, you know, that kind of explains in a slightly more modern way that, that a church kind of started with that stone. It would tell you who built it, who it was built for, um, you know, kind of lay, kind of set who owns this place. God's foundation is truth, and truth is God's foundation. So the church stands on truth. The church doesn't stand on opinion, or the church, get this, we don't even stand on tradition. Our foundation is not our traditions. Our foundation is the truth of God's Word. The truth of what God says is true. That's important to understand. So truth matters. Your life has to be built on truth. If there's no truth in your life, there's no structure to your life. Postmodernism, that's a, something we've been talking about for the last few decades. Postmodernism would say that, well, truth is somewhat relative. You know, what's true for you might not be true for me, and vice versa. Well, if, if truth is not, not firm, then it's not truth. It can't change. And our society is, in many ways, falling apart right now. It's crumbling because we've rejected truth in favor of preferences. In favor of opinions, in favor of how we feel about things, of redefining the truth. We can say, no, I, I, what I, you heard me say that, but what I meant was this. No, but that's what you said. And so, truth that changes is not truth. And again, there's good news in all of this hard news. The good news is that you're not gods because 
you're religious or because you're well-behaved. You're not even a Christian because you know the truth and you accept the truth. The only way to satisfaction is to trust in Christ Jesus for His righteousness in place of your own. Keep in mind that Jesus encountered the Pharisees who knew all the stuff. They knew all the true facts, but they didn't know God. We want to trust in Christ Jesus for His righteousness in place of our own. That's why the foundation inscription says all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Not, not all who turn away from evil belong to the Lord. You can be a good moral person and never know, never know Christ and not be saved. It's not about being a good moral person. But those who belong to the Lord turn away. That Otherwise, that would be your own righteousness. You're not saved by good behavior. Friends, you're not saved by being nice. But when you grasp God's unmerited, unearned favor and grace, and then you respond by living in God's way, turning from lies and from sin and turning to truth and God-honoring living, that's how that happens. You receive grace and live in response to that. We want to be diligent about truth. Now, why, why does this even matter? Why, why, why should we be diligent about truth? Because truth, rightly applied, gives us something to offer the world. Gives some hope. It makes it possible for us to be useful to God. Paul illustrates this in verses 20 and 21. He goes on to tell this little parable. In the wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. And some are made of wooden clay, expensive utensils used for cheap or special occasions, cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I've got two kinds of paper here. I've got some toilet paper. We only use the good kind at our church. And I got some table napkins. Now, um, it's essentially the same thing, right? It's tissue paper. Both are. One's white, one's red. But it's, it's essentially the same thing. But if you came to my house for dinner, instead of napkins, there was a roll of toilet paper on the table, or maybe at every place setting we put it. Maybe right in the middle of the plate, we just put a nice roll of toilet paper you think, these people are weird. This is really odd. And then you said, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom. And then you go to the bathroom, and instead of this, there's just a pile of these on the, on the vanity. You'd be like, yeah, I don't think I want to use that. That seems weird to me. You'd be very confused in our home. You'll have to come sometime and just find out how it goes. You would think, that's, that's not right. Paul would want us to grasp that we're not all equally qualified for the same jobs, for particularly for higher profile, higher demanding spiritual positions. We're not equally qualified. Now, that's obvious not only here, it's obvious in the workplace, it's obvious in politics. Not everyone is equally qualified. But we can work toward it because we're called to pursue Usefulness. And if you're taking notes, that's the other one you can write down. Pursue usefulness. 
The phrase there in verse 21, if you keep yourself pure, as I mentioned, is a bit misleading how they put it in the New Living Translation. It's really better translated. If you cleanse yourself or if you purify yourself, you know, you can be a utensil for honorable use. When we are diligent about truth, um, we can become useful for service. So this is so good. If you will cleanse yourself, no matter what you started from, he says, you can become a very useful utensil in God's house. You want to be that in a loving, humble way, of course. You don't want to be proud about all the things that you know or brag about it. Look, I don't want to be sidelined for Christ. I think we could all tell stories when we when we did something that we're embarrassed about or shamed of or wish we had done differently. You all know that person who is a, you know, an outspoken Christian on one hand and the other time at work they, they lose their temper or they're rude or they're unkind or they're, they're just, you think, oh, you know, you meet somebody and you think, oh, I sure hope you're not a Christian because of your conduct. And you find out, oh, they go to the same church you go to or something. And you think, ah, oh, right? I mean, you're just like, you're dying inside because you think, hang on. Your witness, your testimony, how you live matters. But we've all done that. We've all been there. We've all said, oh man, I wish I had not done that. But we don't have to stay there. I don't want to be sidelined for Christ. This isn't saying I'm, I'm jockeying for top positions. But, because of course Jesus said true leaders are servants. That if anybody wants to to lead, you should be a servant. Anyone who wants to be great. But listen, I would rather be a silver pitcher pouring truth into your life than a trash can collecting the garbage. Even though trash cans are needed. I don't want to be a trash can full of garbage. I, I want to be useful in God's house and, and useful to you and useful as a, as a servant of the Lord. I want to jump to, to verse 22 as we, as we finalize here. Because there's one more key to usefulness here. When he talks, uh, he, he says, Run from anything that simulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteousness, li- righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. It's, there's a call here to abandon the reckless self-indulgence of, of our flesh and he talks about youthful lusts but we all don't feel like we're the age that we are um, we all still think that we're, we're young I, I, I'm, I'm that way so we're called to abandon the sort of the recklessness of self-indulgence and to pursue these great qualities for them that are listed righteousness faith love and peace and then to do so with like-minded companions see to be useful for the kingdom of God means I will include in my life those who don't know Christ yet. Because if I don't love unbelievers, right? If I don't love people who don't know Christ yet, um, or if I don't make any effort to do life with people who don't know the Lord, I might be a beautiful silver bowl, but I'll just be sitting on the shelf gathering dust. Yet if I'm only with people who reject God or only with people who push against truth, I'm going to struggle in my growth spiritually. I, I need to be with other Christians, uh, but not just any Christians. Paul's saying here, find pure-hearted companions who are also pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Find people who are on that same track with you. 
See, the, the ones to avoid then are, are those who would call themselves believers, but are, but are, uh, you know, going to induce unrighteousness in your life or induce fear or self-reliance or turmoil. Because they'll sideline you and they'll, they'll extinguish your joy. Walk with companions who help you to grow in your faith, not grow in your fear. Avoid the ones who say, oh, it's too dangerous or, or it won't work or let's wait and see or, well, we've never done that before. You know, I want to be someone who Sarah's sharing here. I want to be someone who says, Sarah, go for it. This is awesome. We encourage you. I would tell her, avoid the people that say, that's too expensive. It's too hard. Don't do this. Are you really sure? Avoid those people. The amazing message of the gospel is that in spite of lies and false teachers and moral corruption, all those things and unhealthy companions, all these things that we see in here, in spite of all that, you don't have to live there. God's made His truth available to you, but be diligent about truth. If you are saying, man, I've never really kind of researched anything. I've never read anything. I've never kind of tried to build up anything in my own life. I would encourage you to take the Alpha course. It starts this Wednesday. Whether you're a believer, whether you're a seeker, whether you're even further back than that, that course is honestly excellent. It's going to be nine weeks. It'll really help you grasp and ask questions. This is not a place... For if you're like, oh, I'm going to go there and give all the answers. This is not an answer place. This is a question place. You can ask your questions and really investigate for yourself. God invites you to usefulness in your in his house. However messy or boring or painful your past, I want you to know that God has an awesome plan and a purpose for you. He can change bedpans into sparkling crystal glasses. He he can change toilet paper into a cashmere sweater. That's just the kind of God he is. Jesus is often misquoted as saying, the truth shall set you free. It's not what he said. Jesus didn't say that. He said more than that. He said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth by itself does nothing. But knowing it, putting it into your life, understanding it, grasping it, that will give you freedom for your life. That's the great promise. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? God, it is so easy just to just our lives are so full and busy and there's so much going on, it's easy just to just to go on cruise control all our days. But you're asking us, you're, you're challenging us to do more than that, to be to be diligent about the truth. Lord, we're we're in a in a in a time in our in our world where everything's being turned inside out, where what was good is now bad and what was bad is now good and it's hard for us to understand how do we, how do we love our neighbors when, when they live so differently from us or, or when everything about our faith is being disparaged. God, forgive us where we've been lazy about truth. And I pray that even in these days that we would be diligent about seeking truth. And Lord, that we would be diligent about pursuing usefulness. Lord, don't let us be satisfied to just let other people serve you or let other people take care of 
your kingdom. God, I pray that you would put in each of us a desire to be useful for you and useful in your kingdom and useful to lead people to know you and useful to see people discipled. And church, my challenge this week is as, you're, as you kind of go through the week is to be asking yourself, am I, do I care about the truth? Am I diligent about that? And am I looking for ways to qualify myself for the Lord's work? Others of you are, are maybe thinking, I, I don't know if I even believe all this stuff. You, this just sounds crazy. But there's something in there. And you're one of those people that say, I would like to meet that Jesus that Sarah talked about in the dream. I, I would like to know Jesus. If that's you, I want you to talk to me after the service and we'll help you through that. God, make us a place of truth and love and compassion and grace. These qualities that Paul said, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. May that be true for us in Jesus' name. Amen.